And I want to begin by reading verse 27. As Jesus comes to the disciples and they're afraid, he immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Those are very encouraging words, aren't they? As the Lord understands the, the needs of his disciples and as he graciously meets those needs, addresses them. This was another mighty miracle that the Lord performed and they all revealed his glory. Sort of question which people asked at times is, who is this? Uh, for instance, he fed the 5,000 men and women and children beside and now uh, he comes to his disciples on a stormy night. And another time he calmed a storm. He delivered legion from the many demons that possessed him. Uh, he healed a woman who had been sick with an issue of blood for 12 years. He raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. As you read the gospel accounts, it's amazing to read of all the mighty miracles which the Lord Jesus Christ performed. And in this particular miracle, he reveals his power and his love for his disciples. These were unique days when the power of God was being revealed in Israel. It was also a time of training for the 12 disciples whom he had called to be with him and who were witnesses of his ministry. They were there when these things happened. They were eyewitnesses and they could testify to that later. Uh, in the next, in chapter 16 of Matthew's Gospel, uh, Jesus spends time with his disciples in Caesarea Philippi. And first of all, he asks them, who do people say that I am? Uh, what are people on the street saying about me? And uh, they say, well, it's generally believed that you're a prophet. Uh, or perhaps John the Baptist come back from the dead. And then he asked a more personal question, but you, who do you say I am? Am. And that's a question to us too, isn't it? Who do we say that the Lord Jesus Christ is? Do we say, well, he was a good man? He was a, a good teacher? He was a prophet? Or can we say, as Simon Peter answered that question, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, uh, that you are the one who has come from heaven, and uh, you are the eternal one. And we're going to be thinking of that in a few weeks' time as we remember uh, Christmas and the incarnation. The word became flesh and lived for a time among us. And so in all his dealings, Jesus is revealing to his disciples who he is and the implications of that for them. Because when we know that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Son of God, then we have great confidence in him in all the situations of life. And what I want to do is just draw a number of uh, lessons from this passage, which I think are helpful to us. The first is that no one can escape the trials that come in this life. Every one of us is subject to trials. In this case, it was a physical storm uh, which threatened the lives of the disciples. Uh, Jesus had had a time of busy ministry and uh, really tried to find a place where he and the disciples could be alone, but he didn't succeed. The people followed him, and he taught them, and then they, he, the disciples fed the people. And it was the evening, and uh, the people were going to be sent away. Jesus had about that time also heard the news that John the Baptist had been executed. He had been beheaded in prison. 
all these things were going on in his life and in the life of the disciples. And at the end of the day, Jesus told the disciples to get into the boat. He made them get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Now, for many of these disciples, the Sea of Galilee was a familiar place to them. They were fishermen. They'd been there many times. They'd been there in the dark. That was also nothing strange for them. It was a journey of between five and six miles. If you've been to Balor and you've seen the lake there, it's roughly the length of that lake. And uh, so it wasn't a long journey. But that night, it was difficult because of the wind and the waves. Uh, the wind was against them, and the waves were high, and, and their boat was not a big boat. And uh, it was full, and uh, they were being battered. It was noisy. Uh, they could hardly uh, communicate with each other because of the noise of the storm. And uh, in fact, they, they took a long time to make that fairly straightforward journey. It was the fourth watch of the night that Jesus came out to them. That's between three o'clock and six o'clock in the morning. So they've been straining at the oars for between nine and 10 hours. And uh, they are very tired and they're anxious and afraid. And that's what trials do to us, don't they? They make us anxious, they burden us, and uh, we feel weighed down by them. And uh, they continue often longer than we would like them to continue. And we can see no end to them. And the disciples were not sure when they were going to reach the, the safety of the other side. And there are a number of things that we learn from this passage about times of trials when they come to us in life. One is that they're not a sign that somehow we are being punished by God, that we've done something wrong. People often feel that. Uh, and they say things like, well, why has God allowed this to happen? They, they see it as a, a sign of his displeasure. Well, it's quite clear in this situation that it was Jesus who told the disciples to get into the boat and across the Sea of Galilee. It was his command that they were obeying. And uh, it shows us that even when we are walking with the Lord, still trials may come. You think of Paul and Silas and their... Uh, obedience to God's command to go to Macedonia, obeying the vision of the man of Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And yet when they got to Philippi, life was not easy and, and they ended up beaten in the stocks in prison, in the darkness and dampness and awful conditions that were there. And yet they had clearly followed the Lord's guidance. Uh, they had not been disobedient in any way, and yet that didn't mean that their life was all uh, plain sailing, no problems. Life isn't like that. And yet there too, God graciously intervened, and uh, there was an earthquake, and uh, the jailer and his family came to faith in Jesus Christ. So when trials come, we, we don't see those things as a, a punishment from God. Nor do we see them as a time when somehow Satan has taken control. Sometimes we're dualistic in our thinking. Good things come from God and bad things come from the devil. And the feeling is, well, now God has withdrawn his protection. It's striking that when Jesus comes to the disciples and they see him, because they're afraid, in fact, more than afraid, they're terrified, they say, it's a ghost. 
And that's a sign of how we often begin to think dark thoughts when we're going through trials. It's linked to tiredness, the fact that we're weak and frail as human beings, and uh, certainly the devil may take an opportunity to give the impression that somehow he is in control. Um, but that wasn't the, the case. In fact, Jesus had come to them. It was going to be a wonderful moment of revelation to them, and yet they were afraid. And it's often in times of, of great need that, that the Lord becomes more real to us, and he manifests his power and his love. I said the, the, the crossing of the lake that stormy night had gone on for a long time. When you're going through bad, dark times, it, they seem to go on forever. Um, and, and time seems very long. And uh, they had no doubt prayed and called out to God for help. And perhaps they wondered, were their prayers being heard? Uh, and they were really at the, at the limits of their energy and uh, they were at their lowest point. And man, as he comments on this passage, says, he may allow his people to be tried for a season, to be tossed to and fro by storms of trouble. He may be later than they wish in coming to their aid and not draw near till the fourth watch of the night. But never let them forget that winds and waves and storms are all Christ's servants. They cannot move without his permission. And uh, so even when we are at our own limits, God is still aware of our situation. He's there to help us and to encourage us. And perhaps like the disciples, sometimes you, you find that problems come one on the other, one after the other, even running simultaneously. There they were, they'd had this busy time of ministry, they'd heard of John the Baptist's execution, uh, they were weary and tired, and all they wanted was just a straightforward crossing of the lake. But the storm came. And sometimes we find it's not one thing, but it's one thing after another. Had they been able to remember the Psalms, they perhaps would remember that in Psalm 93, uh, the Lord says, or oh, the Word of God says, Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O oh Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. And then the psalmist says, The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, than the mighty waves of the sea. Whatever problem comes, whatever storm arises, the Lord on high is greater. He is stronger. And the disciples needed to know that, and we need to know that too. So none of us can escape the storms of life. They come to us at different times, in different ways, and they threaten to overwhelm us. And then you ask, secondly, what, what was Jesus doing when the disciples were struggling with the wind and the waves? And uh, the answer is that he was on a mountainside by himself praying. He dismissed the crowds, he put the disciples in the boat, and then he went to, to pray by himself. That had been his hope earlier, to find a, a place where he could fellowship with his father. There they were struggling with the storm, and he was on the mountain, and he was praying. Isn't that an encouraging thing? Isn't it encouraging to know that when we are going through the storms of life, our Lord Jesus is in heaven, 
He's got the highest place that heaven affords. As he sent his disciples out into the world to take the gospel to the nations, he, he began by saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. As you go into the world with all the challenges that that brings, remember that I have all authority in heaven and earth. And uh, here he is while on earth, and he's, he's praying He's praying for them. We, we had earlier an exhortation to come together to pray. And I think one of the things which will be a sign that as Christians we're realizing the seriousness of the challenge that we are facing and the greatness of the need of people around us to know the Lord Jesus is that suddenly prayer will become more important in our own lives and in the life of the church. In many church, churches, the prayer meeting is the poorest attended church meeting in the church. But once we realize that we need God's help, we will begin to pray seriously and to encourage one another in prayer. And so while there in the storm, Jesus is praying. And uh, that's what he does now in heaven for us. Uh, the writer to the Hebrews speaks about the Lord being able to save to the uttermost them, those who come to God through him. And he says this, since he always lives to make intercession for us. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. He's telling these Hebrew Christians who had been Jews and had believed in Jesus as the Messiah that they have a great high priest, and he's in heaven, and he's always interceding for us. Uh, if you think of Jesus going by himself to pray, I wonder what you think he was praying about. No doubt, he was enjoying precious fellowship with his Father, a time to intercede with his Father, to commune with his Father. Uh, but we must never think that the disciples were out of mind. You know, sometimes when you have a, a young child, you know, and a mother, and you want to do something, and you, you sort of put the little child on a seat in front of their favorite television program, and you say, now you sit there, and uh, I'll go and uh, do something, I'll be back. And uh, well, if it's a little girl, perhaps she might sit there. If it's a little boy, there's no chance. Um, and if it takes a bit longer, the mum suddenly says, oh, no, I wonder how Johnny is, and goes back and, well, do you think of Jesus a bit like that? He's so taken up with his own fellowship with the Father, that he forgets his disciples. And after he's finished his time of communion with the Father, then he says, now where are they? And only then, if you understand it that way, he realizes their need. But it's not like that at all. They're never out of his mind. In fact, his whole communion with the Father has to do with his mission in this world. And that's to do with these men and the way he's preparing for the task that lies ahead. And, and we're never out of his mind. He never forgets us. If you do go to prayer meetings and you pray for people, we mention those who need to be prayed for, and very often we forget. And it's perhaps only as we begin to pray, it suddenly people come to mind and say, we, we forgot to mention so-and-so. And we get to the end of the meeting and we're gonna say, we haven't prayed for so-and-so. And often the need is very real and very great, but he doesn't have that problem. He always remembers, he always intercedes. We're never out of his mind. His eye is always upon us, whatever trial we may be experiencing. 
There's a hymn which says, Thou for them art interceding, everlasting is thy love. So while they're fighting with the storm, the Lord is praying. Before ever he comes to them, he's been praying for them. And they are protected and sustained by his prayers. And we experience that too, because we go through great trials and we, we think, well, how, how will I cope? And we do. And we're given strength and we're given grace to cope with those situations. Day by day, he helps us. So trials come. None of us can avoid them. When we're going through the trials, Jesus is praying for us as he prays for us when it's not a time of trial. And then thirdly, he, he shows his absolute power over all created things. When he has finished praying, he decides to go to his disciples. And he goes to them in the simplest way he can go. He walks but he walks on the water. And it's a demonstration of the fact that the circumstances which are beyond the power of the disciples are not beyond his power, not beyond his control. He's in control of this situation and he shows it simply by walking to them on the stormy sea. And he demonstrates that he has total dominion over all creation. Without him was not anything made that was made. Uh, and he has that perfect understanding. In fact, God has given dominion to human beings, to people. When men, men, the first man and woman were created in the image of God, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You've got dominion. You're my vice-regents over this world. And uh, he puts human beings in charge of his creation. That's why we have a responsibility for the world in which we live. And uh, in the last century or so, it's been an amazing time of the advance of skills and abilities from human beings and, and all human beings, even the most eminent and the most able, are little specks on a tiny planet in a vast universe. And yet, human beings have learned to do all sorts of things. When I was with UFM, I went off to the Heathrow to fly to different parts of the world, and I had to be careful on the last part of the M4 to keep my eyes on the road, because there were these amazing metal objects just coming in so slowly, so steadily, uh, approaching their landing place in Heathrow. Amazing. Thousands upon thousands of people today are flying in aircraft all over the world. And uh, perhaps you've got a, a mobile phone or a smartphone. And uh, we can just dial on that little smartphone and call somebody anywhere in the world at any time. It's just part of, of life now because people have found out how to do things. I was talking to somebody yesterday, a good friend that I don't often see, and he said, oh, I had, I had open heart surgery last year. And uh, that again is something that happens uh, in hospitals around the world. Different operations, things that can be done. A friend of ours who has cancer, and uh, the the particular cancer she has, 
there's a new drug which has just come on the market in July which is specifically aimed to deal with the sort of tumor that she has. Little human beings, men and women, scientists, recognize the dominion perhaps that they've been given, perhaps they don't recognize that, but they have it. And they have skills and abilities to do all sorts of amazing things. Why should it surprise us that the one who is the Son of God should have command over all creation that stormy night? And you see, there are people who say, well, I don't believe that. And that's because you don't believe who Jesus is. And uh, it really undermines your confidence in him because he, he comes to them. He's the God-man. Uh, one commentator says, let all true Christians know that there is nothing created that is not under Christ's control. He's in control of the storm. And uh, he's also in control of us and of our needs. And so he comes to them. And at first they're afraid and they say it's a ghost. And then he says this to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. I can remember as a child going into Marks and Spencer's on Queen Street with my mother. And I was uh, quite a young child. And at that time, the various counters were quite tall. And I must have been taken up with trying to go and find something. And then I turned around, my mother wasn't there. And uh, as a child, you panic at that point, And you wonder where she is. And then she quite quickly came around, and there she was. And everything was okay again, because she was there. When he comes to them, he's saying, I'm, I'm here. So take courage. That is, don't be afraid. It's I. Don't be afraid. And you know, those are the words of the Lord Jesus that we need to hear when trials are overwhelming us. Because it's at such times that he draws near and makes his presence known. A good friend of ours, many years ago, now a single lady living on her own. Uh, one early morning, felt pains in her chest. And uh, she realized it was serious. She phoned the ambulance, and they came quickly in those days. And uh, they rushed her uh, to the nearest hospital with the lights flashing. And uh, when they got to the hospital, they put her on a trolley and took her straight away to the uh, emergency uh, place and uh, began to treat her. And she said, you know, as I was going from the ambulance to the ward, she said, these words came into my mind. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. She didn't look up her Bible. She didn't get a concordance. She didn't think, what verses have I remembered which would be helpful to me in this situation? Because in crises, you can't think like that. But in a, just a wonderful way, the Lord brought those words to mind and uh, was speaking to her situation. Uh, one of the amazing things about people, some people who have dementia, is that they can remember words of hymns. They can sing them by heart. They may remember verses of scripture that they have learned years ago. Well, this verse came to her, the immediacy, and the Lord was saying, I'm here, I'm with you. And she said, I didn't know whether I was going to live or die, but I knew that he was with me. And now many years later, in the Lord's goodness, she's still with us. 
But you see, it was that word that spoke to her situation. All the crisis, all the crash teams and all the things going on, we thank God for them. But he's just saying, this is a storm. It's come very suddenly. But I want you not to be afraid because I am here and I am with you. And that's what we need to know. That's what the disciples needed to know that night on the lake. Because the storm was not only outside them, it was a storm in their hearts. And his presence calmed that storm. So storms come to all of us. Jesus, when we're going through those storms, is praying for us. He has absolute power over every situation, over all created things. And the next, and this is most amazing, he is the one who also gives power to those who are weak when we put our trust in him. Power to do things that ordinarily we can't do. Um, Peter was always impulsive, wasn't he? I, I have to say on this night, I can't understand why he said what he said. Because he basically said, Lord, if it's you, let me get out of the boat on this stormy night and walk on the water to you. Now, you and I would have said, please, Lord, would you get into the boat and stop the storm? When we used to go on holiday to Tenby, we'd sometimes go on a, a boat ride, and you'd go to the harbor, and you'd have to go across a, just a little tiny gap, really, between the harbor and the boat. And I, I'd often look down and see the water just a few feet below, totally calm, uh, no threat to me at all. But I always found that a little bit uh, unpleasant. I didn't like it. I liked to get back into the boat. But Peter says, in the darkness and a stormy night, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. And uh, Jesus said, come. And so Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. We can learn from Peter's faith, strong in the strength which he imparts, the strength that he gives us. You know, there are times when we say, well, Lord, I hope a particular thing never happens to me because I don't know how I'd cope. But we don't need to be afraid because even when something happens that we wish would not happen, he's able to give us strength. Strength to overcome the situation. Strength to survive. And that's what he does to Peter. Because Peter realizes something very significant. I'm closely related to Jesus. I'm one of his disciples. If Jesus can walk on the water, so with the strength that he gives me, can I. And it's a wonderful insight. It takes us beyond the fear into that sense of saying, Lord, we can survive, we can overcome in this situation. And uh, we sometimes look at Peter in the Bible and we find him to be a man who's up and down and he has strengths and weaknesses, but here's a, an amazing insight he has. On a dark night, and he actually walked on the water because Jesus gave him the strength. Perhaps you've experienced times of trial, and the Lord has given you his strength. But then Peter also had doubts, and the strongest of Christians are a mixture of faith and doubt. No Christians are trusting all the time. We have our doubts, we have our uncertainties, and Peter does. And he has doubts when he looks at his situation, and he sees the wind, and he's afraid, and he begins to sink. And he cries out, Lord, save me. When he sank, he plunged into the water. When our children were young, they used to watch on a black and white television, Captain Pugwash. Now, not the most notable cartoon, 
Um, but it was made of bits of cardboard, and Pugwash was the captain of a, a boat, and uh, there was Tom, the cabin boy, and different ones there. But if you fell out of Pugwash's boat, because it was cardboard, you sort of went down bit by bit. It was all quite slow. But it's not like that when you plunge into water. You plunge. He's walking on the water, and then he's plunging into the water. And we are like that sometimes. We're overcome with panic and fear, having felt so strong because uh, our response fluctuates. And he says, Lord, save me. And then that lovely word, immediately, immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and he caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? He doesn't say, Peter, you're useless. In fact, he says you have little faith. Just imagine that's all he had was a little faith in order to walk on the water. We would think that would be great, amazing faith to do that. But Jesus is saying, you are trusting me for a little while. You are looking to me. Why did you doubt? And the best of Christians are a mixture of faith and unbelief. And the, the great heroes of the Bible are never described as being perfect, but we know something, so just something of their weaknesses. And that was the case here with, with Peter. And, uh, but Jesus catches him. I remember teaching our son Mark to, to ride a, a two-wheeler. You know, you get a two-wheeler bike and you have the stabilizers on them and you're doing very well and then the stabilizers take off and you, you try to do it without the stabilizers. And I remember going by Rose Park Lake and holding on to the little pannier at the back of his little bike and saying, no, keep pedaling, keep pedaling, and I was planning to let go at a certain point. And he immediately realized as I let go, and he sort of turned around, wobbled, and fell off. Um, fortunately, he didn't damage himself too much. And there was that sort of accusing look. Uh, why did he let me go? Well, get back on the bike, and this time we'll start going. But this time, when I let go, keep pedaling, keep pedaling. If you've ever taught a child to ride a bike or to swim, you know that wonderful moment when they do it and they're really riding the bike. And that's what, that's what Jesus is saying to Peter. That's what he says to us. He doesn't say when we struggle and fail, you're rubbish. But he says, keep trusting, keep believing, keep looking to me. Why did you doubt? And because he wants Peter and the other disciples to know that even when he's not with them physically, that they can trust him and he will give them the strength that they need. And uh, so Peter, well, he trusted, he had great faith, but also he doubted and so do we. Um, but Jesus was encouraging, why did, don't give way to doubt, keep trusting me. When you doubt, turn away from it and remind yourself of the greatness of the Lord and the wonder of his love. Because there's a lovely picture, isn't there, here of Jesus walking on the water, Peter walking for a while on the water and then sinking, and uh, then Jesus reaches out his hand and he catches him. And it's that picture of the Lord holding Peter, holding Peter on the Sea of Galilee in the storm. It hasn't stopped yet, and it's dark, and uh, he is safe in the arms of Jesus. And one man has a, a lovely quote. He says, Jesus wanted Peter to feel his love as well as experience his power. Um, he will hold me 
fast. Uh, when my faith struggles, he will hold me fast. And here he is holding Peter fast. And then lastly, and very briefly, they got back into the boat and it was then that the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. You know, sometimes people who don't know the Lord Jesus may come to a person who's a believer and say, Well, why do you believe in him? Well, have you gone to the disciples that night and said, Why do you believe in him? Well, because of who he is and because of what he did. It was anticipating the confession of Caesarea Philippi. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. But here in that boat, battered by the wind and the waves on a dark night in Galilee, with Jesus now in the boat with them, they worship, they worship him. Why? Because in their great need, he met with them and he helped them. And you know, often we worship from the depth of our being, when we're conscious that God has helped us in one of the great crises of our lives. And it's then that we say, Lord, you are the Son of God, and I love you. Thank you for loving me. When everything's going well, when the sun is shining and life is pretty straightforward, sometimes we gather together to worship and we can't somehow engage our hearts in it. It all feels quite remote, but not when we prayed to him and asked him for his help and he's come and he's drawn near to us. And that's what happens to these disciples that night. They're in awe of his majestic person and his divine power and what they've seen him do. And they say, you are the son of God. And they worshiped him. And one of the things that they realized, and, and that's something which has its parallel in our experience too, is it wasn't just what he had done, but the fact that he had done it just for them. Uh, nobody else witnessed what happened there that dark night. The people were making their way around to the other side of the Sea of Galilee to see Jesus again. But it was dark. But what he did, he did just for them. Isn't that an amazing thing? You know, when you pray, Lord, please help me. Lord, please help us, my family, my loved ones, those for whom I'm concerned, that the great God of heaven and earth in this vast world of billions of people, we know that he hears our prayers as he hears the prayers of others and he cares for us. When as a church you pray for people who are going through trials and dark times, he's not only ready to show his power, but he's ready to do it just for you, just for me, as he does it for countless other people as well. So he is the Son of God, and he's our Savior, and he cares for us more than we know, and he cares for us in the trials of life, and he prays for us, and he demonstrates his power, and he gives us his strength to overcome situations and sometimes he just speaks to us. And perhaps this morning you're going through some kind of trial and crisis and you came to church weighed down. Perhaps you nearly didn't come because you were so anxious and worried and you thought, I won't go to church this morning. But he, he wanted you to come and to hear his word. And his word to you, I think, as his word to the disciples that night is, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid.
Amen.